Welcome and thank you for listening to this message from Legacy Church New Braunfels. To connect with us, go to LegacyNB.com. Now enjoy this message from Pastor Jay Miller. All right, if you have your Bibles with you, why don't you turn to one passage today. We're only going to go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. This is a message that's been percolating my spirit for a couple years. I think it was 2018. I first kind of gave a word like this, but the Lord started tugging on my heart again about this in connection specifically with Pentecost. If you're not familiar with Pentecost, that was the feast that the Jews recognized that when Moses brought down the old covenant from the mountain and he presented it to the people of Israel. So he took the heart of God, he wrote it on tablets of stone and he presented his covenant, his old covenant to the people of Israel. And then on the day of Pentecost, uh, day of Pena being 50, was 50 days after the, uh, the resurrection or after um, Passover. And specifically on this day, the Lord pours out his Holy Spirit and instead of writing it on tablets of stone, he actually writes it on tablets of flesh, which is our hearts. And so it fulfills the scripture and the prophecy says, hey, behold, I will make your, take your hearts as stone and turn them into tablets of flesh. And so he wanted to write his covenant, his love letters specifically into each of our hearts. And what he wants us to do is he wants us to surrender to the writing of it. And what I got to picture is sometimes whenever we have the hand of God moving in our life, it's not always pleasant. And I just got this picture of somebody getting a tattoo. And how many people know that tattoo is, it's ink, but it's also burning it into the skin. And it's not actually pleasant as something because there's a, there's a searing of flesh. There's something that's being burned into it. But people that get a tattoo, they have a vision for what they're going to have and what they're going to display. And what I, what I really saw was on this Pentecost across the church worldwide was the, the hand of the Lord coming down and he was actually touching people's hearts once again. And there was actually a, a pullback, a pushback saying, ow, that hurts the Lord. And the father's like, no, 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 I'm not here to hurt you. But the pain that you're feeling is actually the pain of things that were never supposed to be in my covenant in your heart. He says, I love you so much that what I want to do is I actually want to sear away the things that were never supposed to be in your heart in the first place. The things that the world put into your hearts, the things that events or circumstances or traumas or any of those stuff that it put into your heart. And the Lord's going like, no, I love you enough that I once again on this Pentecost Sunday, I'm going to write on your hearts once again and re-engrave my covenant onto your heart that says you are mine and I am yours and no one can have you but me. He wants to mark his people as a people of covenant, not contract. Contracts are made to be broken. There's outs, there's clauses, there's things you can get in and out of a contract. And contracts are also dependent upon protecting my rights versus accepting responsibility. When I sign a contract, I'm actually saying, I want to take on the minimal amount of responsibility on my end of the contract and put the maximum amount of responsibility onto the other party for the contract. So you see, God doesn't operate in contracts, he operates in covenant. And God says this, I'm taking on the full responsibility on my end for our relationship. And I'm going to make provision for you. And I'm going to transform you to look like me, to think like me. I'm going to pour out my spirit. But your end of the covenant is this, is surrender. You actually take on responsibilities in covenant. 
where you say this, God, what was once my passion, now it doesn't matter if it's my passion. If it's not your passion, God, it no longer can be my passion. I'm giving that passion up. What I thought was my calling, if it's not your calling on my life, God, I'm actually giving that up because I'm called to be called by you. I give myself fully to you. That's covenant. In marriage, it's the giving of one another to one another. It's laying your rights down in order to be able to come, become one. And, and so I just see this day of Pentecost is something that is just the renewing of wedding vows. Our, our dear friends, the Grams are here. And I remember just recently we, we did their, their wedding renewal vows in this place. And it just really sparked inside of my heart. Is like the Lord is wanting to renew his vows with his people. His bride is getting prepared for a day. There's, there's a wedding day that's coming. It's the wedding feast of the Lamb. The Lord is coming back. And so much of eschatology, the study of end times, was, centers around the Antichrist and centers around the falling away and centers around sin. Instead of the second coming centers around the coming of the bridegroom. Our eschatology must be about this. He is coming back and he's returning for a victorious bride. So the bride must prepare herself. Must be ready for his spirit to pour out on all flesh. I think we miss the point of that scripture that, that Peter points to. It says, this was written about this. That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Let me hear you say all flesh. God does not discriminate on who he pours out his spirit on. It's only flesh that discriminates against the spirit of God. And discriminates against one another. It's a serious thing. And I feel a joy in my heart. Because I've seen the eyes of my lover. And he passionately loves me. And he passionately loves you. And he's excited about coming back. But he's asking this question. Are you ready to present yourself before he comes back? Are you ready to go through a process of maturity and transformation? Because the bride he's coming back for is a mature bride. A complete bride. Not a bride who's tossed and turned by every wave of doctrine, but that's tossed and turned by every disease that comes across, monkeypox or COVID or whatever else comes. That's not tossed by all the conspiracy theories that are in there and out there. And remember, every conspiracy theory has an element of truth. They're not tossed and turned. They say, no, no, I know my God. My eyes, my heart is locked in to the one who's riding on my heart. But it's going to require us to surrender to the writing on your heart. I just got this picture during worship. I, I, as there's some that were going, ow, that hurts. And then there was others that said, yes, it hurts, but it hurts so good. You just, you just, you just leaned in. You just began to say, God, I know that's not a part of me. And suddenly what was fearful you began to receive it as love, and, and all of a sudden, the things that kind of weighed you down, the more you pressed into his heart, and we began to scream, it's your chaotic love. I used to not like that verse in that song. Your chaotic love has messed me up. 
And the Lord goes, no, no. My chaotic love comes and disrupts everything that was never supposed to be love in the first place. It makes you right. It sets you in place. It, it allows you to be able to become fully who God made you to be. So it's time for us to really press in to what God's doing. So let's look at Luke chapter 2. And I want to look at this maturing process that Jesus went through. Because I feel like the Lord is saying, this is a key. I'm always careful on building formulas because formulas can turn into religion really, really fast. But there are keys, there are principles that God lays out in his scriptures that we really can press into. So I'm, just, I'm going to read through starting at verse 39 through verse 52, and then I'm going to unpack only two of these scriptures. Verse 39 says this, When they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town in Nazareth. What was that? That was when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus at age 8 to the temple to have him circumcised and be presented to the Lord. And then after that, they go back to their hometown. Verse 40, And the boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. And every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. After those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was, traveling in, the, assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey, but then they began looking for him among, among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple complex, sitting amongst the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Before I go any further, the first key to learning is you have to learn how to ask questions, not give answers. You, you, you have to have a teachable heart, a teachable spirit that says, I don't know this all. This is the word became flesh, by the way. I don't care if he's 12 years old. He's still the word became flesh, and yet he's submitting himself to a process of growth. And he's asking questions. He's listening to them. Verse 47. And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Verse 49. Why were you searching for me, he asked them. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Other translations say I had to be about my father's business. Verse 50, but they did not understand what he had said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. Let me hear you say obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and with people. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with the people. So when we're looking at this process, the first time we hear Jesus, he's eight years old, he's presented before the Lord, and from age eight days old all the way through age 12, we see he goes through this growth process where he's growing in wisdom. He's being strengthened. In verse 40, it says, the child grew and was strengthened in spirit, being filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This Greek word for strengthen means to prevail by God's dominating strength. As his power prevails over the opposition, it gains mastery over us. For the believer, it operates by the Lord in working faith. 
His in-working faith. And so as Jesus was strengthened, how was he strengthened? When we hear years later, he says, I only do what I, I hear, see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father saying. Where did he learn this? From day 8 to age 12, he was growing in strength in his father. The dominating hand of the Lord was in his life, not controlling but maneuvering, bringing things into light, helping his mind to see. Jesus began to learn how to think with his father in that time frame, and it's because he was submitted into his parents' care. You want to know why the enemy has tried to blow up the family? Because anytime you blow up the family, you actually blow up the plan of God. And, and I understand we ran a single-parent ministry for over three years. We, we, we understand God still heals. There's no scarlet D for those who have gone through divorce. But what I'm trying to tell you is this. He wants to destroy the home life, a father and a mother who are in it together because there's something about that place, that posturing that allows children to actually grow up into the fear of the Lord. And in this place, he was strengthened by God's dominating strength. Wisdom is one of these things that you have to learn how to grow into. It's the practical operating instructions of heaven. God thinks he knows what to do. He has a plan. This is wisdom. Jesus began to understand what wisdom was before he had the ability to employ it. He began to grow in wisdom before he had the responsibility to employ it. So often we want authority and we say, yes, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. The keys of the kingdom are given to me. Jesus said that. That's true. But there was a process of maturing that took place leading up to that moment where he says, now I've given you the keys of the kingdom. He learned to operate in wisdom before it really mattered. And my question to you and I is, in this day of Pentecost, how are you positioning yourself to learn to operate, to be strengthened by the dominating power of God? How are you learning to be able to operate? You're the next man up. You're the next woman up. You have a purpose. You have a plan. God, God's got something for you. But what, the way you're able to wield the power of God is by starting in the place of infancy, learning how to submit and surrender and learn to what that looks like. It says he was also filled with the grace of God. The, the grace of God was upon him. This is the Greek word charis. It's where we get the charismatic gifts. It was the empowering agent of God. He's learning how to operate in that. Now look what it says in verse 52. So verse 40, he was, eight, he, was, uh, uh, he was from age 8, day 8, to age 12. Now we come up to verse 52, he's age 12. And after this thing, he, he goes with his parents. He knows he's supposed to be about his father's business. He has an understanding about the calling of his life. I guarantee you Mary and Joseph had told them the prophecies that the angel had given to him about his life. He's reading through the scrolls of Isaiah, probably at this point, saying, that's about me. There's something in the heart that says, put me into the game. I know I'm ready. I know I'm ready. He's biting at the bit. And so he stays in this place to continue to learn and be tutored because <clears throat> he would actually become a rabbi, which is a long process. But then he says when his mom and his dad came, he submitted to them. He was obedient to them. I just want to tell you there's something that comes from being under submission to healthy authority. To be in authority, you have to be under authority. Not authority that beats the hell out of you or demands obedience. What I'm talking about is empowering authority that says, I see the call in your life, but help, let me help you get to the place where you become the Messiah. 
is what Mary probably told him numerous times. Let me help you develop Jesus. His father, Joseph, dies somewhere between age 12 and, and age 30 on the scene. But I guarantee you, Joseph was there saying, Jesus, just trust the process. Grow in wisdom. Grow in understanding. So verse 52, Jesus was advancing in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and men. This interesting word, looking at this word advancing, let me hear you say advancing. In the Greek, it's actually prokopto. And what it literally means is this, to cut forward, to advance. But it means more than that. Originally, it was like a pioneer who cut his way through the brushwood. Like a pioneer who, the way you advance through is a pioneer that's going through a forest and there's all kinds of distractions and you actually have to cut your way to be able to get to a path of a clear plane where you can actually see clearly or you can build upon. This is the way that Jesus advanced. It means this, there was lots of obstacles that were in his way as he went through it, but he continued to advance. How did he advance? Through wisdom through stature, and through favor. He grew in that, but it was also by wisdom and by his stature and by his favor that he actually grew, and he made progress. And the Lord's calling us to make progress once again as a church family, as a church body, and I'm talking about the worldwide church. So let's look at wisdom. The Greek word there is Sophia. It's skill, it's wisdom, it's insight, it's divine intelligence as much as it's human intelligence. It's actually the, re, the root word of the English term sophistication and philosophy. See, God's not opposed to the mind. He just doesn't want your mind to have you. He wants his mind to have you. The sophistication of the Lord. And so Jesus is actually growing in the art of using wisdom. He had an affection for wisdom, thinking like God, bringing everything into alignment with how God thinks. So what does that look like for you? How are you growing in wisdom? How is, how is God creating a sophistication of his wisdom within you? Do you know what it means to be free in Jesus? It says it was for freedom and Jesus set you free. How are you growing in the wisdom of freedom? There's wisdom, there's practical application to learn what it is, not just to be set free, but to actually live free. I'm just going to use the analogy, too, of this is why when you see somebody win the lottery, and in a very short period of time, you see their life in ruins, and they're just as in debt as they were before. Why is that? Because they might have been set free from debt by a massive amount of money, but didn't know they had to think like the one who can manage that type of money. So what we're looking to do is this freedom that Jesus gave you, freedom from sin, freedom to be who he, he made you to be, freedom to dream with him. You need to learn wisdom and ask him, Lord, what does it look like to walk in freedom, to steward my freedom? What does it mean to steward my identity? What's the wisdom of being a son or a daughter of God? What's the wisdom that's found when I'm a bride of Christ? What's the wisdom that's found when I'm a friend of God? Do you understand that? All three of those are different. I'm going to teach on this one point. I'm not sure. It might be when I come back from my sabbatical. But there's three different types of identities. Primarily, I think the Lord is pushing in and developing within us. The first one is sonship. Let me hear you say sonship. Second one is the bride. Let me hear you say the bride. The third one is a friend, a friend of God. Okay? Sonship. You have access to things that were not previously yours, but you get it through covenantal inheritance. So the father says, what is mine now becomes yours through covenants. 
And so it requires a wisdom on how to inherit things as a son or as a daughter. How do I employ what somebody else built before me? I'm actually benefiting from the efforts, the, the, the labors of someone else that came before me. And I inherit that. And I know that I'm actually supposed to be another link in the chain that grows an in inheritance to my children's children. It requires wisdom, not just to take resources and use them foolishly, but Lord, what's the wisdom to take what's been given to me and now how do I actually build it bigger? It requires wisdom. But see, there's something that's different as a bride. Let me hear you say bride. A bride owns it through her covenant with her husband. A bride does not inherit. I just want you to think about this. Wisdom. A bride does not inherit. A bride on the day of the wedding automatically knows everything in a covenantal marriage. So that means that you as a bride of Christ actually have access to things that you don't have to inherit, but you automatically as a bride of Christ have authority and have ability that's found in your covenantal relationship with him and it requires growing in wisdom on how to use that. Not to become prideful or arrogant. Look what I've got. Look who I'm married to. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You hear what I'm saying? Like, it comes with this level of responsibility to say, no, I'm, I'm married. It's, it's like Esther, Queen Esther, was born for a time such as this. She, she steps into this, this authority as a queen to be able to move the heart of an unrighteous king because she knew that she actually could sway the heart of the king, not because she inherited anything, but because she was in relationship with him. And Jesus says this, ask for anything in my name and it'll be granted to you. That requires wisdom. That requires wisdom growing in. And this is why we're at Pentecost, because Pentecost brought the ability for that to be imparted to you, but it requires a relationship. Let's talk about a friend of God real quick. Let me hear you say friend. What's interesting about a friend, a friend doesn't inherit and a friend doesn't actually own anything. But by relationship, he becomes a steward of his friend's resources. And the friend expects us to operate and use those resources as if the friend was doing it. It requires a different level of wisdom. It would be as if, if uh, one of my uh, family members died and I, and I took over and had to raise my, my nephews. It would be like, man, I'm taking on an awesome responsibility to raise them. They were not mine, but now they become mine for a season. I have to steward in the place of someone else. And see, this is when Jesus, uh, when um, Abraham and Moses are called the friend of God. They're given awesome power and responsibility, so much so that when God wants to go do something, he says, I need to check with my friend before I go and do it. Are you ready to grow in the wisdom that would allow you to move the heart of God? See, it's not supposed to be heavy, but it is supposed to bring into this place of the awe of the Lord. We don't have a movie script faith. We don't have a bumper sticker faith. We actually have something that's dynamite that has the capacity to bring life or death. It has the ability to determine whether people are going to spend eternity with the Lord or eternity separated from him. It's a powerful thing. What does it require? Wisdom. 
Can you, can you steward the resources, the people that God's put in your life because they're your friends' people? What if when you went to work tomorrow, all of a sudden you stopped thinking about this is the place that I employ a paycheck, but this is my friend's business who took a risk to invest in and employ people. Now all of a sudden as a friend of God, I'm operating like a friend of God and I do my job not to earn a paycheck, but actually to bring the glory of God through my friendship of God and honor other people. What would that look like? You okay? So our identity, we have to understand this wisdom for our identity. We have to have wisdom for the heart for other people. We have to have the wisdom that, that brings practical transformation. The gospel of Jesus should show up in a practical way in our society. It's not just about voting. It's about actually practically bringing transformation into that system. It's not just about bemoaning the fact that school districts have gone wayward. It's actually about bringing transformation into that system. It's not about, well, the economy's going crazy. No, it's actually about bringing practical transformation of the kingdom economy into that system. It's not enough to say, well, the family's apart. The nuclear family's falling apart. Oh, no, what are we going to do? It's actually about the church being the representation of the family of God that brings the people of the people of the earth, the families on the earth who need a practical understanding of what family looks like, all of a sudden we infiltrate the family and that reverses that divorce rate. It reverses the abuse rates. It reverses single parenthood. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like cities begin to practically be transformed and that requires wisdom. And Jesus was growing in that wisdom at age 12. So what's your excuse? It's just about surrender and submission. Before I move on to this, let me give you this idea. He's age 12. Age 30 rolls around. It's the day that he's actually, Jesus is baptized. That was his Pentecost day. It was the day that Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And this is the opening salvo of his earthly ministry. From day eight, he begins to grow in wisdom and strengthening of the Lord. He begins to grow in the, care, the, uh, the grace of the Lord. Then at age 12, he continues in this place of wisdom. He begins to advance. He's cutting a path through because on the other side of this pathway is actually age 30 when he will come out as the Messiah of the world. And he cuts through in this place. And all of a sudden at age 30, he goes up to John the Baptist and says, you must baptize me to fulfill what's been written. And in that moment, he goes underneath the water and he comes back up and the father reaches, he, he tears apart. It says it rends the heavens. He literally tears apart the separation from the throne room to that river. He rips it apart and he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Identity. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. Do you know what made him ready for that day? It was his parents at day eight, taking him to the temple and saying, we're surrendering him to the Lord. It was his parents raising him from day eight to age 12, telling him the stories. It was about the family, the aunts, the uncles. It was about the people saying, this is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. It was that time that Jesus says, yes, this is who I am. This is who I am. He was being trained in wisdom and stature and favor. I submit to you that if he had never gone through that process, 
that day 30, age 30, never could have happened. It would have been like throwing a stick of dynamite and blowing them up. It would have made a really good show for a moment. Then nothing would have been transformed. And what I would propose to you is, although there is no junior Holy Spirit, and although God does not, he does not uh, withhold his spirit from a child, teenager, and adult, we've seen that very clearly. But on the his dynamite power onto his people, it doesn't blow them up or the people around them up. But instead, they realize this dynamite power is not actually about me. It's actually about him. It's actually they have the wisdom. They have the stature. They have the grace to be able to carry that power to bring transformation to the planet. That's the process Jesus went through. That's why Pentecost, his day of Pentecost, was. And that's why from that day until the day he hung on the cross, he operated with wisdom, the fullness of his stature, and grace, and favor. Look what it says here, stature. Stature is the quality or the status gained by growth, by development, or by achievement. In the Greek word, it talks about it's the sustainable age for anything. Let me hear you say sustainable age. And then interesting that that's that term. The sustainable age for anything. Metaphorically, it's a, an attained state of mind for a thing, the age in which we are fitted to receive the fullness of Christ. It's a status, it's a position, it's a rank in relation to the others in our status of the Father. It's kind of interesting at this point that Jesus was growing in this. The words that said, you will be the Messiah, you will be the Christ, in this place, he's growing in to maturity, into the full attainment of that. But at age 8, he wasn't there yet. At age 12, he wasn't there yet. But it says he's cutting forward a path to get to that place. And what I'm telling you is this. I see many of you in this room, you're just on the other side of this, this hedge that says on the other side, you're going to reach the full stature you're grown in stature. Don't give up. And it's right at that last moment, I think the body of Christ has started to waver during COVID a little bit. And there's some people that fell away. You want to know what I think the great falling away will be? It's when people give up on the word that God said about them. We've made it about every other, well, this deception and this deception and this deception. This. Who cares about those deceptions? You only need to know the truth. They don't train people to study counterfeit $20 bills. It'd be stupid because you'd have to keep up in your mind. Is this, is this a counterfeit? Is this a counterfeit? No, you know the truth and the truth will set you free. What if God created you with such a stature that the world would be astounded when you're on display? Do you believe that about yourself? Or do you think you're just a worm? A sinner who was saved by grace who's still sinning. Or what if you were more than that? Jesus never got caught up that he was age 8 or age 12 or age 22 or age 29 and a half. He was moving to that mark of age 30 when he came out and he took over the father's business. Do you understand in the Jewish culture, age 30 was the, the right of ascension for a son to take over his father's business. He knew at age 12 he was supposed to do that. 
But it took those 18 years, and I would tell you it took all 30 years to grow him to a place of maturity that he could grow into the fullness of the stature. Jeremiah 1.5 says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, and I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. Psalm 139, 13 through 16, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, and how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born, and every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. That's your stature in the Lord, the fullness of maturity. Actually, in that same word as stature, it talks about the full age of a man. A genealogy, it's a legacy. Isaiah 49, 5, and now the Lord speaks, the one who formed me in my mother's womb, to be his servant who commissioned me to bring Israel back to him. The Lord has honored me and my God has given me strength. Ephesians 2, 10, for we are God's masterpiece and he's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Finally, John 13, 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and he would return to God. My question to you is this. Do you know that you came from God? Have you been born again? Do you know that everything he has is yours here? And do you know that you're going to return to him one day? So between now and the returning, how about you go about and become who God made you to be? Y'all awake? Y'all just so quiet today. Finally, let's talk about favor. Let me hear you say favor. It's a Greek word, charis. It's grace. Grace is a gift or blessing brought to man by Christ Jesus. It's favor. I love what this says in this helps word study. It says, favor, disposed to, inclined, favorably towards, leaning towards to shared benefit. It's grace. It's preeminently used of the Lord's favor that is freely extended to give himself away to people because he's always leaning towards them. I'm going to read that again, but if you were saved by grace, let me tell you what grace is. It's the Lord giving himself away to people because he's always leaning towards you. He's always leaning towards you. If the Lord's leaning in towards you, what does it matter what the enemy's doing to you? What does it matter what the enemy's saying to you? What does it matter what culture's talking about and how dysfunctional it's been? If the Lord's leaning into you, lean into him. It's empowering agent of God. It's the same thing as the Greek word, I mean the Hebrew word that talks about they both refer to God freely extending himself, reaching out to his people because he's disposed to bless them or be near to them. It's an anointing from God that leads to open doors to bring kingdom, bring the kingdom in accordance to his, God, his call and his design on your life. I'm just telling you right now, I've been really rolling around in this. And, and I believe there was a revelation about prosperity that got into the weeds when the, the idea of prosperity or favor was brought outside of the context of the kingdom. For those that are new, um, the sum of the parts is not greater than the whole. 
The sum of the parts are not greater than the whole. What does that mean? You can't take out a part of the whole and bring it outside and make it as if it's the whole. You can't take my heart out of my chest and say, this is all of Jay, right? It has to be inside my chest, working within the full system, the complex system of my whole being. And anytime you take a part of God's kingdom out and you bring it out as if it's the whole thing, whether it be grace or it be justice, you actually create dysfunction, you actually create heresy. And then the rest of the body can't operate fully because it's missing a part, right, of its whole. So in the same way, when we're talking about prosperity, there was a time where people took prosperity, brought it outside of the fullness of the kingdom, and made it the gospel itself, and it became dysfunctional and led people away. Also, what it did is it allowed people to say they, they, they reacted to dysfunctional prosperity and said, oh, therefore God must want us to be in poverty, and they therefore took the poverty out and brought over here and says, no, we're all supposed to be poor little worms. What's the problem with that? Both are parts taken out of the whole that can never survive or actually have anything built upon them. It says be poor in spirit because the Lord is your provision. And so I feel like this idea of favor, what the Lord wants to do, is we should be the most blessed people on the planet. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm just talking about things that begin to happen. Talking about $5,000 showing up in a surplus. It had, nothing's happening. What, what? The Lord's hand is upon it. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Pastor Chris shared a story this last week talking about uh, enjoying baseball cards with his son and getting a pack pulled out in this, this card that was one in 115,000 chance coming in that pack but getting it and celebrating going like, is that God? Yes. Was that further his kingdom? Is anybody saved because of that? I guarantee you his faith is built up, which means it's going to lead to somebody being saved. We've become so religious that we tied favor to only what's actually the numbers of the gospel rather than no, the favor of the Lord on his people. And it makes people out there go, what is up with y'all? Y'all the most loving the most kind people, the most generous people, you give yourselves away, you're the most blessed people, what's up with that? It worked in an Old Testament covenant. When the people of Israel are going through the desert place, the enemies of Israel learned really quick, don't mess with Israel because they're prosperous and they're protected and they're safe. We don't want to mess with them. Anybody that messed with them got taken out. And it actually became a testimony where the peoples of the world said, we've now seen the glory of your God. Can we come into your camp? Jesus grew in that favor. He was in a working class family. His dad was a carpenter. He learned the value of hard work. But he learned how to prosper. In his earthly ministry, he actually had an accountant. Now tell me how many poor people have an accountant. He was so prosperous, they kind of could rob from him, and he still didn't feel it. We okay? So the Bible says this. If you don't know how to manage mammon, earthly, ungodly resources, how could I trust you to manage eternal riches? Growing in wisdom, and growing in stature means we also grow on how to steward 
with even human intelligence and divine intelligence, the resources of the world as much as the resources of heaven, so that when he pours out his spirit, we know how to put it to use to build his kingdom and not our own. Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Let me hear you say the acceptable year of the Lord. If you know the actual passage from Isaiah that he was reading, there was a part that he left out, which was the day of judgment. Jesus in his earthly ministry wasn't here to declare judgment, but the acceptable, the favorable year of the Lord. That's what I want you to pick up on. We are still in the favorable year of the Lord. There will be a last day that will be a day of judgment, and it settles all accounts. But we're not responsible for that day. He is. He's the judge. He's the accountant. He's the one that will take it on in his own wisdom. But we are here to do what Jesus did. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us. Why? He's anointed us to preach the, the good news to the poor. Not just the financial poor. Those who are poor in spirit. Those who need to be saved. He's come to heal the brokenhearted. He's come to heal the people with dynamically, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. He came to set liberty those who were oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Luke chapter, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. Let me hear you say to me. I think we forget that verse. We get excited about the Holy Spirit goosebumps. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit goosebumps is to be a witness for Jesus. Now, don't shy away from I shake, I rattle, I roll, I've been messed up in the spirit, I've said visions, I've, 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 I've all kinds, I've had all the manifestation stuff that's out there. But every time you get up, it's for the purpose of extending the gospel of the kingdom. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing of mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Let me hear you say, each of them. Let me hear you say, that includes me. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Why don't you stand up with me? I want you to prepare your hearts and just ask the Holy Spirit this question. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Holy Spirit, we just come and 
Jesus, you're our model. You're the firstborn amongst all new sons and daughters. So what was good for you and your growth process is good for us. So Lord, we just ask that you would strengthen us. That as your spirit pours out onto us, Lord God, that you would dominate us with your strength, your power, your might. That as you dominate us, Lord God, anything else that's dominated us loses its power of authority or influence. We just declare that your kingdom come in us. Just right where you're at right now. I just sense there's some that need to hear this. No divided hearts. Any spiritual enemies of Jesus where agreements have been made with, it's time to break them now. So as an act of my will, it's right where you're at, I break any and every agreement made knowingly or unknowingly with anything, with any spirit, any creed, anything other than Jesus. And I submit my heart fully to Jesus Christ. Come, Holy Spirit. And we ask God right now that as we're strengthened by you, that we would grow in wisdom, that we would think like you, that we would practically operate with your mindset. Lord God, that we would come into alignment with your full stature for us that before you knit us in your mother's womb, you had a plan, you had an idea, you had a stature in place for us. And Lord, we submit ourselves to the growing process of coming to full maturity individually so that the body of Christ can come together into full stature corporately. And we ask right now, Lord, that we would grow in your favor your grace, that as you lean down and you empower us through your grace, that as you anoint us, Lord. I just make a declaration, declaration over every person here that there's going to be open doors to bring the kingdom in accordance with your call on their life, your design on their life right now. I just break off that idea of a bad luck spirit. I just heard that specifically. I just break off the idea that you're cursed. You are blessed and you're highly favored of the Lord. That's who you are, because that's who he is. And Lord, grows in wisdom on how to carry your stature, how to operate in your favor, until this whole world is transformed into your image. And we declare this right now in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said. Amen, amen. Thank you so much for joining us as we seek first after God's kingdom and release it to transform lives and cities. If you would like more information about how to grow in the kingdom or connect with Legacy, 
go to our website, www.legacynb.com.